I glad to be here this morning? I have been so bored this weekend. I've had nothing to do all weekend. There's been nothing to watch on TV. Nothing of any sports-related entertainment at all. No reason to turn the TV on. No reason to even have sports notifications coming to me. There's been nothing going on. No madness. Of course, I'm kidding. I absolutely love March Madness. I love the energy, and I love the excitement of it, and I love the upsets. Even if I didn't pick them, I love an upset because I like a good underdog story. I could have used Purdue winning last night, but still. Now, hear me say I am not condoning gambling. I don't think you need to put money on your bracket to have a good time. I think there's nothing wrong with a little light competition, and I think bragging rights should be enough. I don't really know a lot about basketball. I pick out my teams based on who I know and where I've been on vacation. There's a pastor here from Iowa, so I picked that team to beat Ohio. <laughs> As an LSU graduate, I picked LSU to win the whole thing. Well, if you've been paying attention, you know they're already out and my, busted, my bracket's completely busted. But it's fun. I don't know a lot about basketball. But I know the most exciting part of the game. And it always comes at the very end. The most exciting part of the game is at the very end when they call it a one-possession game. And that's the exciting part that's got you on the edge of your seats. That's the part that's got you just ready to stand up and cheer. It's a one-possession game with 2.457 seconds remaining. Just enough time to change everything. Exciting time of the year. It's a beautiful time of the year. For our online community, if you don't live in Georgia, I hope it's as pretty where you are as it is where we are. It's gorgeous here. When I go home, I go by this one particular street out of my way just so I can see the line of white blossoms on the trees. And I drive in my neighborhood. And I just see the lines of beautiful colors. And then I keep driving and I look in my neighbor's yard and she has a wall of azaleas. And then I keep driving a little further and there's this other yard. And it's horrible. It's brown. It's all overgrown and it looks like nobody's tended to it for a whole year. It is the epitome of the wilderness right here. And as I'm driving a little closer to it, I realize, oh, no, that's my yard. <laughs> so those days between the basketball games being played, I decided to go outside. I put on my work gloves. I put on my big rain boots. No idea why I put rain boots on. It seemed appropriate. Got all my tools. I got my shovel and my rake and my leaf blower, my electric shears, and I went to work. And like basketball picks, I have absolutely no, what, no idea what I'm doing with these plants. I would go up to a plant, just make a quick decision. 
yeah, you can, you need to leave now. And I would dig it up. I'd go to the next plant and say, you know, you just need a little room to breathe. Let me move all that layer of old leaves and old pine straw. There you go. And I'd go to the next plant and go, huh, I don't think you belong there. And I'd just dig it up and I'd move it over to the other, other place. Now, there is somebody listening to me going, oh, my gosh, she is ruining her yard. And let me tell you, I may have, but I did it with joy and great confidence. I finished my whole entire front yard like that. And I had such unfounded confidence that I went to my backyard to do it again. And I start cleaning up my backyard and working on the backyard. And all of a sudden, I come to the very last corner of my backyard. And by now, I am tired. I'm ready to be done. And I come across this little spindly tree-looking thing. And I have no idea what it is. But I know it doesn't look very good. And I think to myself, okay, in the last year, what has this thing done for me? What does it look like? And I don't remember anything about this thing. So I thought, you know what? I think I'm done. I'm just going to go ahead and cut it down. <laughs> so I take my shears and I go to cut it down. And all of a sudden, I recognized it. And I remembered what it was, what it is. And I think to myself, oh no, that's biblical. I have a plant in my yard that appears in scripture. I have a biblical plant. And now all of a sudden, I feel very responsible for it. I have a fruitless fig tree in my yard. Let me tell you the story. I'll read it to you as it's on the screens. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, see here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, sir. Let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and I put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Luke 13, verses 6 through 9. This is a parable. And a parable is a story, but it's a little more than a story. Parables are complicated. Parables have these layers of meanings. Parables are like riddles you have to figure out. And one reading, you may think you know what it's about, but don't be fooled. There might be another meaning because it takes time to know what a parable is about. The only person that ever uses parables in Scripture is Jesus. In the whole book of the Bible, all the books of the Bible, the only person that uses parables, that would be Jesus. And he uses them to answer people's questions. People ask him a question, 
he gives them a parable. For the people of the time, it probably was very aggravating. Jesus, what's the kingdom of God like? Well, it's like a mustard seed. No, Jesus, come on, what's the kingdom of God like? Well, it's like a woman who has some yeast and flour and she starts to make some bread. Jesus, come on, what time is it? Have you heard the one about? He answers every question with a parable, and it's no different this morning. The context of our parable, there are a group of people who are gathered around Jesus, and they ask, Jesus, what was the sin of these people that made them die that tragic death? What was the sin that caused this natural disaster to take them out? To put more of a current context on that question, it would be like all of us gathering around Jesus to say exactly why did worshipers die when they were in New Zealand? Exactly why do worshipers in Savannah die? God, Jesus, why did that tornado pick that city to destroy? Why did two different hurricanes, Lord, pick almost the same exact destruction path? Jesus, was it their sin that caused that death? And Jesus answered by saying, no, no. But repent, turn away from the world and turn toward me. And by the way, there's an owner of a vineyard with a fruitless fig tree. It's a riddle. One interpretation of this scripture is that you shouldn't ask about the way people died. Rather, you should look at the way they lived. What are the fruits from their life? And that's a good reading. It's a good interpretation. Another interpretation says, well, for every year the fig tree didn't produce fruit, that represents one year of Jesus' ministry, his adult ministry, because for three years, Jesus went from town to town, city to city, preaching and teaching. And even though he spent three years with people, there are still some who don't believe. And that, too, is a good interpretation and a good reading. However, there may be another. I find it very interesting. Because you see... This is not the only fig tree story in the Bible. There are two others, one in Matthew and one in Mark. And for the most part, they look the same as our story with one big difference. In Luke's version, Luke's fig tree gets one thing the others don't get. Luke's tree gets time. Luke's fig tree gets time. Sir, give me one more year. Time. And that's the very thing that we never have enough of. I don't know about you, but I never have enough time. We don't have enough time to do what we want in our day, much less take care of a tree. In our jobs, we need more time to get that done. 
in our hobbies, we need more time for hobbies. In our hobbies, we don't have enough time to do it the way we want to do it. In our homework, we need more time to cram in the last minute studying before it's due. Everything is competing to get our time. And yet somehow, that's the one thing this tree gets. Time. There is a basketball player. He plays for Murray State. His name is Jean Morant. You may know this story. It's underdog story. There was a scout. He was looking for some good talent to come to his school, play basketball. So he went to the gym where he's supposed to go, where everybody told him to go, where the best of the best were, and he begins to look for talent. And the scout doesn't see any. And he gets hungry, and he actually goes to the concession stand. And on his way to the concession stand, he hears one of the auxiliary gyms, he hears another ball game. And so he walks down the hallway, and he opens up this little door to the little gym where three guys are playing, and one of them is Jean Morant. And the scout picks up the phone, calls the head coach of the college, and said, I just found a guy that needs to play in the NBA. He is really headed that way, it looks like. And in all the interviews that they have with Morant, they ask him, you know, all those times that you got passed up, what gave you confidence to keep playing? And he said, my dad gave me time. My dad trained me. My dad helped me. My dad played with me. My dad answered every question. My dad gave me his time. Friends, don't be fooled. We are not the fig tree. We are not the owner. We're the gardener. Friends, we're the gardeners. Genesis 2 verse 15 says, God put humans on earth to keep it and till it. Friends, we're the ones that are called to be in working. We're the ones to be active. We're the ones to give time. We're the ones that are going to have to pay attention to things and details beyond ourselves because we are those called to work and to give time and to be in action. And it may mean that we're a little uncomfortable and we might get dirty. Because at times it's going to mean we need to be on our hands and our knees, moving away all the old stuff to get to the good stuff. And at times it's going to mean that we have to move one thing somewhere else. We are the ones that have been called to share God's forgiveness, spread God's grace, and cultivate God's people. Not too long ago, there were two freshmen who started at New College in Florida. For the most part, they had a lot in common, but not really. I mean, they were in the same freshman class. They lived in the same dorm, and they were taking the same intro classes. But beyond that, they were completely worlds apart. 
one of the students' names, Matthew, was an Orthodox Jew. The other student, Derek, was the godson of David Duke. And he was the son of a president of a very extreme white supremacist movement. Well, word spread very quickly that Derek was on campus. And, you know, the stories began, the gossips began, and the hatred began. And when Derek would walk to class, people would literally turn their back completely to him. And then when Derek would go to classes, they would begin to scream at him and shout at him. People refused to sit with them. People refused to eat with them. People refused to talk with him because of the hate and the evil. And Matthew watched all of this happen. Matthew was a good, devout Jewish student, so much so that Matthew hosted all of the Shabbat meals for his friends. A Shabbat dinner happens on Friday night. It's a traditional Jewish meal. It happens at sunset to welcome in Shabbat, to welcome in the day of rest of Saturday. It's a Jewish tradition, an important one. And Matthew would host his friends every night for this Shabbat meal. And there was one Friday night, all of the Jewish friends were there, and they began to talk about Derek. Almost as if they had those shears out, and they were ready to cut him down. And all of a sudden, Matthew says, wait, this is biblical. And all of a sudden, Matthew felt a great sense of responsibility. Matthew invited Derek for next week's Shabbat meal. And Derek shows up. Derek showed up. And very quickly, Matthew made some ground rules. Matthew said there will be no shouting, and there will be no screaming, and there will be no fighting. We will only have quiet conversation. And everybody left. So Derek and Matthew, they made one more rule. They said we will only talk about one thing. Religion. <laughs> the next week, Matthew invited Derek for a Shabbat dinner. Derek came back the next week and the next week and the next week for one solid year. After one year of Friday night dinners, an Orthodox Jew and a white supremacist became the dearest of friends. One more year of Friday night dinners, other people began to join the dinner to learn and to listen and to share. One more year of dinners, Derek wrote 
a very famous article denouncing the hatred of white supremacy. Three years of dinners, and Derek became a public speaker and an advocate for love thy neighbor. Sir, don't cut this one down. Give me one year. One year. What would happen if we spent one year with something? What would happen if we spent one year working on our marriage? What would happen if we spent one year getting rid of an addiction? What would happen if we spent one year with that broken relationship in our family? Now hear me say, I am not talking about any relationship that is abusive in any way. You need to be safe. God wants you to be safe. I'm talking about something different. What would it look like if we spent one year in Mariana, Florida, helping one community? What would it look like if we spent one year serving as a Chapel Roswell congregation and giving to Chapel Roswell in a new way? What would it look like if we spent one year in our youth team dedicated to a high school student? Lent is a time of the wilderness. It's a time that we are called to examine the game, the yard, the trees, the people in front of us, to see where there is no fruit and to commit to giving your time to one of them. So that on Easter morning, you wake up and you celebrate that new life by putting on your gloves and your boots and going to work and saying, God, I will be here this year. And the outcome, what's going to happen? I have no idea. <laughs> and that's the most exciting part. That's the most exciting part of the story. That's the part that makes us want to be on the edge of our seats, waiting to stand up and cheer. Because one year, it's just enough time to change everything. Amen. God calls us to respond to God every day. And one of the ways that we are called to respond to Chapel Roswell is by giving. And there are ways that you can give on our screen. These are the ways that we can give to our faith community. And so we invite you to do so. In addition to the response of your gifts and your time and your resources, we also invite you into a different type of response this morning. This morning we will spend a few moments in silence and we will be together asking God to speak to us.
to show us those things in our lives where we need to focus on and where we need to concentrate. And so now I invite you to join me in a moment of silence, listening.